What a blessing. I'm so thankful for um, men of God who take it upon themselves to um, train and empower others for ministry. And so, so thankful for the leadership here. Would you all join me in honoring God's word by standing? I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 through 32. Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, in the country, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore he's coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to one com- the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness with which you have shown to your servant. And with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children." For you said, I will surely surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So he spent the night there, and he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, Pass on before me and put a space between the droves. He commanded the one in front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going, and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, These belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present for to my lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third, and all those who followed the droves, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob is also behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him, while he himself spent that night in the camp. Now he arose that same night, and took his two wives, and his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. 
Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he, and he said, Jacob. He said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Dan. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we recognize that there are seasons in life that there are so significant that we will never be the same once we've experienced them. And we can all acknowledge that our fellowship around your word, but around the person of Jesus Christ, love that we have experienced from God, it was so significant that we have forever been changed. But in light of that relationship we have with you, Lord, I pray that from what's set before us in the life of Jacob would be convicting. As we come before the table, we recognize that we ought to take it reflectively, not in arrogance, but yet with humility, recognizing that the grace of God has been bestowed upon us Lord, we recognize that we have experienced that grace, but so did Jacob. And so as we pour our eyes over how you interacted with him, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be filled with such joy and hope. The same God that was gracious to Jacob has been gracious towards us in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got to say the matter, I think, a little bluntly. And that scripture is abundantly clear. Confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. When it comes to confession, generally, and I say generally, if we're quite honest with ourselves, we're awful at it. We can be known for a variety of things of, uh, of being good at, but when it comes to acknowledging our own personal sin or wrongs committed towards one another, the thing that we're often unable to do or poorly good at is confessing our sins. In fact, over the years that I have been alive, I have recognized that there are a variety of ways that 
people opt to, even myself, when it comes to actually doing that which we're supposed to do. After I've wronged somebody, there's a couple of things that we have decided that might be better than actually confessing our sin. One, ignore the issue. Maybe they didn't notice. Two, there's this idea of theology in the world that says, well, time will heal. And so if you just ignore the conflict that you have created long enough, then surely the time that has been caused to separate you from the wrong when you once did it will become easier to be able to forget. One that I have tried. I remember being nine years old when I stole my parents' candy and how that plagued my conscience for years. And in fact, when I did confess it, I realized it didn't bother them as much as it bothered me. But I have learned that ignoring the issue, letting time pass away, doesn't, acknowledge, doesn't heal that which has been wrong. We've opted for other options like sending others to clarify our own character in the face of somebody else. Go tell them I didn't mean it that way. Or surely maybe you can overshadow your wrong by overdoing it with kindness. Or, sadly, we leave the relationship entirely. The standard that's set before us in Scripture is confess your sins to one another. It requires a, a face-to-face event. And if there's going to be healing, then there has to be this opportunity to speak bluntly with one another. Humbly acknowledging and confessing to one another what has been done wrong. Jacob has waited for 20 years. 20 years ago, Jacob had done something so significant in his family, so destructive in his family, that it disintegrated his family altogether. In fact, it was the very reason which caused him to flee to the house of Laban. Jacob, in fact, when he had wronged Esau, and in Esau's anger, he says to his, says in Genesis 27, 36, is he not rightly named Jacob? Like, he's lived up to his name. For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now he has taken away my blessing. The name Jacob has been filled up with Jacob's life that he has so fulfilled what it means. He is the deceiver. He is the one who lies, manipulates, takes that which he does not have for his own. And through those actions has caused the disintegration of his family. Result of that last time. And he dressed himself up. He saw his clothing dressed his arms up with animal skins to deceive his blind, senseless father. In order to receive the blessing, 
when Esau realizes what Jacob has done, Esau is rightly livid. He says, not only has he lived up to his name in first, or chapter Genesis 27, verse 41, Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of my father, the mourning for him are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And Jacob, in light of what he has done, has fled from his brother for 20 years. How long have you ignored an issue? Like, Jacob's stuck, right? I've, I've found myself here before that there's this idea if you let time progress, then it'll get better. No, it gets more awkward. And you're going to see that Jacob knows what he's supposed to do and yet doesn't do that which he's supposed to do. He sends out everybody else to see the face of his brother except himself. The question I have for you and I as we come before the table is like, as people of God, as Jacob will come to realize, confession is a part of our relationship with God which causes us to be able to confess sin before one another. And you'll see what the writer is doing as he brings this out before us. And tw- excuse me, 20 years have passed. Look with me. The, 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 the long, unexpected, the fully or the fearfully anticipated reunion now has come. The Lord has asked him to come back to the promised land. And as he makes his way back into the land which was promised to him, Genesis 32, verse 1, the messengers of God come to meet him. Now, as Jacob went out on his way, the angels of the Lord, the angels of God, met him. Interesting. This is such a strange incident. Nothing is said. We have no idea what is being described here. And yet I think we will see what was being told to him as we read the story in its length. But as a result of this, in some ways, this would have been relieving. God is here. His messengers have come to meet me. In verse 2, Jacob said, when he saw them, this is God's camp. Good news. So he named the place Maniam. Verse 3, the long, fearfully anticipated reunion begins. He knows what he has to do as he needs to speak to his brother Edom or Esau. And he lives in the city of Edom. And just because God has messengers, angels, what does Jacob do? He sends out his messengers and he crafts this carefully crafted message to send to Esau. You ever been there? You wronged somebody. And so back in my day, we would write these letters because you didn't want to see the face of the person that you've wronged. And so to get away from seeing the person's face, what did we do? We'd write a letter. What do we do today? We sit in front of a different letter and we type out a text of 
confession or clarification of the things that we did wrong and we pour over those words before we hit send to carefully craft it in such a way that saves our face. Maybe to soften the face of the one we have done wrong. And this is exactly what Jacob does. He gathers his messengers and look what he does. He also commanded them, saying to these messengers, Thus shall you say to my Lord Esau, interesting language. Jacob hasn't acted like this before. In fact, even since birth, what did Jacob do with Esau? He wrestled. He's called Jacob. He's the heel grabber. In fact, Rachel, when he, she was pregnant with Jacob and Esau, she said, bearing these twins, it was like having a war within. Jacob has never spoke with this language, Lord Esau. He's always tried to underplay the authority of this, the firstborn Esau, but here he has taken a humble position. So you will say to my Lord Esau, thus you will say, your servant Jacob. You might have wondered where I've been for the last 20 years. Thus says your servant Jacob. That's Jacob's paraphrase. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. In other words, they might have been wondering where I've been for the last 20 years, but I've been stuck at Laban's house. Yeah, like if you're gone for a weekend, that's one thing. It's been how long? It's been 20 years. Uh, and not only that, I've been staying there until now, and, and don't worry, I'm rich. Look at verse 5. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and firm female servants, and I have said to tell my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. Yeah, our last incident, he doesn't even make light of. Yeah, it's been 20 years, we haven't talked. Has time healed the relationship? The messenger comes back. Hey, we've just said what you've said. We used your language. Lord Esau, your servant Jacob. And by the way, he's on his way. Look at verse 6. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, I'm going to remind you, the last words from Esau were what? When dad dies, I'm going to kill him. Jacob's going to put two and two together. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau. And furthermore, he's coming to meet you with 400 men, which are with him. The carefully crafted message, void of his voice and face, have not landed well in the eyes of Esau. And now he comes with 400 men. Jacob is going to freak out. What you will see for the rest of this chapter is a man who will not sleep in the night. And he will try everything possible to try to soften the face of the one he has wronged before he gets there. Verse 7. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And so what did he do? He divided the people who were with him, the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two companies. 
And for he said, he is fully anticipating losses. Esau comes to the one company and attacks it. The company which is left, then they'll have a chance. They'll escape. Time hasn't healed it. The face-to-face requirement and order to confess wrongs and for reconciliation, there has not been healing. I have found that to be the truth, that when somebody apologizes through the face of another face, it doesn't come across as authentic. And I'm I'm even prone to do this and that even when we apologize through carefully crafted letters, texts, or emails, I am in danger of when I read upon them to misinterpret the face with what I have lost, last seen of that person's face. And so if there was anger there or disappointment, that is how I often will read it. If, although done carefully, Jacob and Esau's last interaction did not go well. It was the very reason why he had to flee for his life. And as a result of this, he anticipates the worst. What do you do when you are stuck in a corner? Well, you pray to God. And you make pleas before God. Because Jacob knows he's vulnerable. What is interesting here now, this is the first time that Jacob, in his life, as we have seen it, prays. Yeah. When do we pray? Yeah, usually not in our prosperity or in our comfort or security. (laughs) When we need him. Jacob needs God. And not only that, does he know that? Interesting to state, in the book of Genesis, it's the longest prayer. God, you said you take care of me. You protect me. You give me promises. You better darn well show up. And I know, oh, I know, I don't deserve it. Right? It's, look at this, Jacob, verse 9. Jacob said, oh God, my, my father, oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, oh Lord, you said to me, let me remind you of what you promised me. By the way, Esau's coming, 400 men. You said you would return me back to the country, I see your camp, and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For you, for with my staff only I crossed this Jordan. And now I have come, become two companies. I see the promise of their prosperity given to me. Verse 11. You better darn well show up now. Or, that's Jacob's paraphrase, deliver me. I pray from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. Now, other people are at stake now too, God. One commentator it's a prayer of manipulation. Right? You're praying. What, whose face does he need to go see? Esau. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. 
For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants so as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. It is interesting. In the previous section, when he sent out his messengers to meet Esau, he told the messengers, tell Esau that your servant Jacob is here. But when he makes his plea before God, he says, oh, your servant who is unworthy. It's like Jacob is falling for anything that will serve him and restore him and rescue him from the things that are coming. And he is terribly and greatly afraid of what is coming. What is interesting is what, how verse 13 ends. And so he spent the night there. You would expect in verse 13 a pause for God to respond to his prayer. I mean, the camp is right there. Yet, we don't know what the angels say when they came out to meet him. And in fact, as soon as Jacob is done with his prayer, he's on to the next appeal or opportunity to try to solve the problem in front of him. And so carefully crafted words have not slowed the, 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 the approaching Esau, nor has his prayers to the Lord. He hasn't even given time for the Lord to answer him. And so in verse 13, he spent the night there. And so let's move on to the next option, an extravagant gift. Yeah, let's pour some kindness on this. And so he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother. And man, the gift that he selected is quite extravagant. 550 animals. And he's going to separate the 550 animals. Now, maybe there's some cleverness into this. I don't know. 400 men? Let's give those 400 men 550 animals. Let's see how they fight. I know that's what's going on. But the reality is, it is an extremely extravagant gift. And he separates them into five different portions. And he tells his messengers once again, when, Jake, when Esau is coming and he's approaching and he sees the first wave of animals, please say this to him. Let's see this in verse 18. This belongs to your servant Jacob. It is the present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. Jacob's hope is that after wave, after wave, after wave, after wave, after wave of his extravagant gift, Maybe the face of Esau will be softened gift after gift after gift after gift towards him. Look at verse 20. You shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us, wave after wave. And there's this term that doesn't often, it doesn't, show up as frequent or as it's, it's translated differently in our text. The term that shows up four times in this verse is the word face. And I've highlighted those for you. For he said, he said, I will appease his face with the present that goes before my face. Then afterward, I will see his face and perhaps his face will accept He's hoping. And everything has failed up to this point. Clever words. Brothers. A plea before God. 
Maybe now an extravagant gift will change the face of God. He's frantic. He is not sleeping through the night. Verse 21. For the present passed before his face while he himself spent the night in prayer. And one last ditch effort. Now he arose the same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he turned them and he set them across the stream and he set across whatever he had. The lengths that we will go to not see one another's face when we've done sin against one another. The craftiness of Jacob is not just some historical, ancient pattern. We know that we do that ourselves. We trust in alternative options. And so, time will heal. And we know, whether it's one week or 20 years, the further the time of the wrong between the wrong just makes the situation of reconciliation even more awkward. I've seen that in my own family. I've seen that in churches. I've seen that in relationships. And yet, in some way, we think that the time goes on, the elephant in the room will somehow get smaller. That's a lie. There's a reason why Scripture says, if you desire to have healing, confess your sins to one another. Jacob is going to learn something because now he is utterly alone in the night. Family is separated from him. All of his financial resources, that which he claims to be prosperous, is separated. And in verse 24, there is a face-to-face event that occurs. The first line of verse 24 is this. Jacob was left alone. For the first time, like he was when he was a baby, he has utterly nothing. And it's in that moment, strangely, some anticipated man has appeared. But it's not the man in which Jacob was anticipating to come and fight. The writer has been careful to slowly reveal the person whom he wrestles. And Jacob was left alone. And the face-to-face event occurs. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Jacob has had a history of living up his name. He doesn't let go when he gets in a fight. In verse 25, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, this man who was fighting Jacob, he touched the socket of his thigh. The socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated when he wrestled with him. Any normal man, when something gets out of dislocation, lets go. I played soccer for a number of years, and the fearful dreaded moment when you roll your ankle, you don't even have to feel the pain before you're already grabbing your ankle because you're anticipating the pain to come. 
Jacob, when he wrestles with this man and by mere touch is dislocated. Jacob's a different breed. He's got somebody else that's pretty resourceful and he clings all the more. Yes, he needs somebody to fight the battle which is coming, right? But the man speaks in verse 26. And he said, let me go. For dawn is breaking. And Jacob said, I no. <laughs> I will not let you go unless you bless me. He has been pleading this all of his life. And now he has met someone who can dislocate a hip by merely touching it. He's not going to let this one go. And then the question comes in verse 27. And so he said to him, what is your name? If you're familiar with the story of Jacob, you know this is a specific question which Jacob himself historically has ignored. In fact, the reason why he had to flee from the land of his father was because his father once asked him while he was dressed in the clothes of his brother Esau, who are you? Jacob in that moment answered what? Esau. We forget sometimes within the Hebrew stories that names are not just merely names. They are also a definition of the person. Adam, the first man. Eve, woman of life, with life. We have Abraham, the father of multitudes. How would you like to have the name Jacob, deceiver, the heel grabber? And so it was easy for Jacob when he looked at Esau or Isaac and said, Who are you? I'm not Jacob. I'm Esau. I'm something else. And so what is so striking here in verse 27 is that for the first time, Jacob is confessing who he really is. Jacob. Often, when we acknowledge what we do wrong, you know what we do? Yes, I did gossip about you. But you can, you've treated me wrong too. And so we, it's an apology of a, equaling the floor, balancing the scales, and we give false apologies rather than confessing, I gossiped about you so that I would look better before others, and I stepped on your faults to raise myself above you. I was wrong. Like true, genuine confession. Yes, I lied. Yes, I got angry at you without the rebuttal, but you treated me this way. Jacob, for the first time, with no rebuttal, with no clarification, Jacob. We call this confession. This is who I am. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I grab for which that is not my own. 
I'll dress myself up as somebody else if I think you have something that I want and I can get from you. And I'll manipulate the relationship so that I can get it. That is who I am. It's striking that when, when the story of this situation unfolds, the angels of God met him. And yet the person that he fears the most is whom? Esau. For there is somebody else who has come out to meet him. And who has that been? God. Jacob had this assumption just because he had the promises of God that he was somehow right with God. And yet in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the fight, he genuinely now gives his answer. And as a result of that answer, look at verse 28. He said, Your name, this is what we call grace. Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and prevailed. Well, how have you prevailed? confession. And Jacob asked him, not quite sure who this person is, please tell me your name. But he said, come on, why is it that you ask for my name? And for the first time in Jacob's life, who now is Israel, he gets from God what he has always been waiting for. And he, God, blessed him there. The change of name for Jacob was significant. For it means deceiver, heel grabber, liar and thief. And now he's known as Israel. God fights for you. No more fighting, Jacob. No more wrestling, because I'll do it for you. On one hand, that's the front end of the word. The other way that you could translate it is, struggle with me. And we know that not just Israel will do this, but Israel will do this. They will tr fail to trust in the one who will fight for him, for them. And yet, in light of this confession, Jacob's name has been changed to an unworthy name, to a worthy name, known for what God does for him and not what he has done for himself. Look at verse 30. So Jacob named the place Peniel, the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. He was afraid that Esau was going to kill him. Totally didn't anticipate that God was going to show up. And he's a little bit scarier than Esau. You really see his face in the, in the light, and you'd be undone. Glory hidden from him. Yet, my life has been preserved. I like 31, and I'll end with our convictional response. 
And it doesn't say, and the sun rose. It actually says, the sun rose upon him. Just as he crossed over the face of God, Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. A new day has started for Israel. And forever, for the rest of his life, he will walk with a limp, reminded that he no longer has to fight himself, but rather trust in the one who will fight for him. I argue that this story is about confession. Jacob has taken every aim and every effort to appear by giving pleas before God, sending out messengers before him through extravagant gifts, and none of them have slowed the pace of Esau. Yet when Jacob meets God alone, with no gifts, no manipulative prayers, no other messengers, Jacob, face to face with God, gets reconciled with God out of what? A genuine heart of acknowledging his wrong. And I pray, this is our convictional response, that would so mark us as a people. We are genuinely awful at confessing our sin. But we ought to be some of the greatest people to acknowledge our wrong. Because we know God will forgive us our sins well, without any effort or extravagant gifts or any person that we send before them, before him, to, to clarify our case. But it is simply through the repentance of our hearts and trusting ourselves to Christ Jesus that we are reconciled with God. Why is it that it is so hard for us to do that? And yet we opt for time. We'll just ignore the issue. We'll over-exaggerate our personality of grace towards that person and one around them rather than confessing the sin. And as James teaches, if there is to be healing, genuine opportunity for reconciliation, if there is going to be healing, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. Healing takes place not because we're just simply humble. It should be marked with that humility, but it's Fueled by this understanding as a people together, this is exactly what God has done for us. But no extravagant gift would have led us to be forgiven by God. For we are sinners. But by the grace of God, He has been gracious towards us. And through God's grace in Christ Jesus, and by faith and faith alone, we are forgiven. And that model of repentance which restores us with God is the model by which we walk and reveal physically and totally realized towards one another in practice as we confess our sins to one another. Which requires this, reliance. It means that we have to be close enough and known enough where we can practice such things. 
there are going to be days when we have to do the face-to-face. But the humility in which to do it, where there's humility and healing, is that we know there's a God who's done this for us. And so that is why I think it is perfect the table is placed before us. I don't doubt there are opportunities for all of us to confess our sin. It may be in your family. It may be in this church. It may be in the workplace. There may be in the schools, your classroom. I pray as we take the table together, we're going to reflect about a God who has forgiven us graciously. And you have been so saved to be his image and represent his likeness to the world around you that you would not opt for the fallacies of time will. Extravagant gifts will change the face of that person towards me, but rather rest in what God has done for you and that through the simple acknowledgement, I'm Jacob. I'm a sinner. I've lied. I've stolen. I've been deceptive. And through that acknowledgement, we know even ourselves, it's not just Jacob who gets a new name. For the God who has been gracious towards us in the days ahead will do the same for us and change our name. And we will rejoice when that takes place. But until then, we will remember what God has done for us. And as we pray about it, I pray that we be convicted to walk and approach that one, if God has placed that upon our heart, the one we need to confess our sin toward. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't wrestle you any longer. We know that time does not heal. We know that acts of generosity without words don't heal. We know that sending other people on our behalf don't heal. We know there's healing within the church because we have a God who's been gracious towards us in Christ Jesus. And by, by repentance, acknowledging that we are sinners, desperate need of a Savior or that you have forgiven us. And so Lord, as we take the table together this morning, we take it acknowledging that Jesus Christ is our Savior. He has saved me from our sin. And we have found it a joy to express that hope and faith of repentance and baptism. And Lord, as we reflected as as a congregation this morning, Lord. I pray that image of what you've done for us would be the pattern by which we live towards one another in confessing our sin, praying to the one who heals us for reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I have the ushers come forward?